You know, so far in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has taught us a great deal. He's opened with this statement that left us uh, kind of with our, our mouths agape when he said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And in the first few chapters, Solomon went about proving that. He went about showing us that if we're living our lives for the things that this world holds out to us and says uh, that we should be valuing, that we should be sacrificing for, that we should be working for, Solomon is, has told us and taught us and shown us that if that's where our affection is, if that's where our life is angled, if that's everything that we're after, then we're going to reach that same conclusion. We're going to look back on a life that we've lived and we're going to say this has been vanity. Not only has it been fleeting, like vapor coming off of a hot cup of coffee, it's there and then it's gone, but we're also going to say, you know what, this has been meaningless. It's been pointless because now here I am at the end of my life and I'm looking back and what do I really have to show for it at the end anyways? Solomon, as we get to chapter 7 together in this text that we're going to look at, he's building on this and continuing this idea. And really what he's doing is he's going to take kind of a big picture of the entire book as we look at chapter 7. And he's going to address this question as we stare at the end, as we begin from the end, as we look at death itself. We have to ask the question that we've been looking at and answering and asking this entire time, which is this, how should we then live? Solomon is picking this back up again. Chapter 7 is looking kind of from a, a bird's eye view at our lives and answering the question, how can you, how can I navigate this life in a way that's going to please the Lord? So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to start. Let's read the first 10 verses of Ecclesiastes 7. Solomon says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your heart to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you ask this. Even in those first 10 verses of chapter 7, you get a feeling maybe of disjointedness. You read that and, and you hear that and you think to yourself, well, this doesn't really... It seems disconnected here. But Solomon's laying out an argument for us. And he opens with this idea of, uh, of a good name. He says a good name is more precious than, than ointment, than oil, than perfume. And back in Solomon's day and even in, in the day of Christ, uh, the, the cost of, of, of ointment, of perfume, was pretty high, pretty exorbitant. You remember the scene when Jesus is anointed with that costly perfume. And one of his disciples, Judas, speaks up and he says, well, why didn't we sell that? We could have benefited from that, right? It's a valuable thing. And here Solomon is in Ecclesiastes 7 saying, you know what's more valuable than even that? Is you having a good name. You having a good reputation. As you think about your name and your reputation, we understand even in today's culture, though we don't live in the same honor-shame culture that was existing during this day, we understand that our reputation matters. That reputations are important to us. 
In fact, Proverbs 22.1 says this, A good name is to be preferred or chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. In other words, Solomon in Proverbs 22 says, you know what, a, a, a good name is even more valuable than, than much wealth, than riches, for you to have a good reputation. Solomon opening this up and, and he's bringing us face to face with this question that you and I have to now ask ourselves. And that is, what's your reputation? What do people think of when they hear your name? When they see you walking up to talk to them? What, what thoughts are going through their mind about you? When they see a text come through from you and they see your name on that text, what are they thinking? What processes are, are running through their minds? Or when they see a post from you on Instagram or on Facebook or on Twitter, what thoughts accompany that post when they look at it, when they see it? What is your reputation? And there's one thing that solidifies, that finalizes our reputation more than anything else. And that's where Solomon goes in the very next statement here when he says this, in the day of death is better than the day of birth. The day of death. See, once you and I breathe our last on this earth, there's nothing more that we can do to affect or change our reputation that we leave behind. In this opening section of chapter 7, Solomon is going to take these ideas, these paradigms, these models for us, and he's going to really flip them and turn them on their heads. Solomon says there in verse 2, It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, in verse 2. I don't know about you, if you've ever been to a funeral, if you've ever been to a, a memorial service, if you've ever been to a graveside service, but if, if you're anything like the majority of mankind, you're going to look at the opportunity or the choice between going to a funeral and going to a party, going to a Thanksgiving feast, going to a family reunion, going to just hang out with your friends and have a good time. You're going to look at the opportunity to say, do I want to go to a funeral or would I like to go hang out with my friends on a Friday night? And you're going to choose to go hang out with your friends on a Friday night every single time. But Solomon's flipping that. And he's saying, no, no, it's, it's better for you to go to a funeral. Why? Because of this idea of the way that we live our lives, our reputation, our name. See, when we go to a funeral, when we're confronted with the day of death, what we're forced to do is we're forced to think about the end that awaits every single one of us. That all of us will one day breathe our last here on this earth and we will be the ones in the coffin. We will be the ones in the grave. We will be the ones who are being remembered at that service where people stand up to give our eulogies, to talk about the life that we lived. And so Solomon is saying the reason why it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party is because a funeral is a much better tutor, a much, much better teacher, a much better professor than a party. I remember one particular funeral that I presided over recently. It was a, maybe a year and a half ago. It was for a man who was rather young who died, unfortunately, in a, a terrible car accident. And as I was there at this funeral, one of his friends stood up to give a eulogy, and the, the coffin was there in front of the pulpit. And this friend of his was standing behind the pulpit giving the eulogy. And as he gave the eulogy, he became more and more passionate and more and more intense and more and more vigorous in what he was saying. And he was pointing down at the coffin that was in view of everybody gathered. And he was pointing at the coffin and saying to all of us who were in that room, look, all of us are one day going to be in this coffin. How are you now living your life? See, that's Solomon's point here. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind. And the wise lay it to heart. 
The wise will ponder it. The wise will consider it. The wise will think about how then should I live my life in light of the fact that one day I'm going to be in the coffin. That's our first point that I want you to consider today as we look at this passage. It's this. I want you to think about the life that you want remembered, and I want you to live that life now. Point number one is this. Live the life you want remembered. Live the life you want remembered. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, verse 4, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. That word mirth means laughter, uh, frivolity, uh, j- joyfulness, right? And, and Solomon's saying it's, it's better to be in the house of mourning than to be in the house of, uh, of laughter. Why? Because the house of mourning causes us to think about our lives to, to push back from the table and say, how have I lived? What is my reputation? And so I want to ask you right now, how do you want to be remembered? In fact, right now, where you sit today, think about this. If, if today were your last day, how would you be remembered? If your funeral was tomorrow, what would the people giving the eulogies, what would they say about you? As you think about that, as you think about the life that you've lived so far, maybe there's some things that you want to change. What are those things that you would say, you know what, if, if I knew that I was going to die today and people were going to be giving my eulogy tomorrow, this is what I would want to change about my life. This is what I would want to do different. See, that's what the coffin does for us. That's what uh, this idea of going to the house of mourning does for us. Solomon's paradigm shifts, though. They don't stop there. They continue. Look down at verse 5. It says, It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song or praise of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. The picture is sitting around a campfire and somebody takes a a thorn bush and and throws it into the fire. And there's going to be crackling and there's going to be noise. But that crackling and that noise is going to die out quickly because it's dry and it's not going to last. And it's here and then it's gone. It's vanity, right? It's vapor, it's mist, it's here, and then it's, it's not here anymore. Solomon says, if you have people that are surrounding you in your life, and the only voices that you have in your life are those that are praising you, those that are telling you how great you are, how smart you are, how successful you're going to be, how godly you are, everything else. If that's all you have in your life, then Solomon says you're not going to benefit because it's better to hear the open rebuke of a wise person, to have somebody that's going to come alongside you. And this is a picture of discipleship. To have somebody that's going to come alongside you and say to you, you know, this is the life that you profess to be living, but this is some of the the evidence that I see in your life that I'm concerned about. You know, you say you're a believer, but I heard you talking this way. Or even to come alongside you and say, hey, you know what? How's your time in the Word been during this lockdown? How's your, your time praying been during this lockdown? And maybe you say, you know what? It hasn't been good. And to have somebody that's going to push back on that. And say, you know what, that's, we need to improve that, right? We need to get after it. We need to run harder. We need to go further. We need to be more godly, not less godly. We need to be more active, not passive during this time. See, students, you and I need that voice in our lives. And Solomon says it's better than the praise of fools. We like the praise of fools more than we like rebuke. Just like we like going to a party more than we like going to a funeral. But Solomon says these are better than than the praise of fools and then to go to a party. Why? Because they teach us. And not only do they teach us, but they change us and they transform us. 
And that's what God is after in our lives, students. While we're here on this earth, God is, is, is about the business of sanctifying us, conforming us more and more to the image of Christ. And he's going to use things like funerals. He's going to use things like the rebuke of a friend in our lives, the, the rebuke of somebody that's going to come alongside us and call us to live more wi- wisely. He's going to use things like that to challenge us, to sharpen us, and to make us more godly. As he continues on there, he says this, he says, surely oppression drives the wise into madness and bribes corrupt the heart. He's pointing out the things that that frustrate us about this earth, that make us upset, that make us angry as we're looking around this this earth. And, And he's calling us again to not be impulsive, not be rash, but to be patient. He said, instead, he says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. In other words, Solomon is saying, as you're thinking about the life that you're living, as you're thinking about what you are learning from death, what you are learning from the rebuke of, of wise friends, you may grow frustrated. Because you look at this world and you grow frustrated with the sinfulness and the brokenness and the fallenness of this world. And maybe you're even tempted to think, well, what's the point? But Solomon says, stay the course, be patient, live the life now that you want remembered when you come to die. Be faithful to what the Lord has called you to do. Don't look back. Don't waste your time looking back and saying, man, life was better before coronavirus. Don't look back and say, man, life was easier when I was a kid, when I was younger. Don't look back and say, man, I wish I grew up in the time of the 50s and the 60s because life was better there. Solomon says that's not wisdom to long for former days. Wisdom is to think about the life that you have right now and to live the life that you will want to have lived when you come to die. Well, Solomon continues here. The target has been set for you and I. Live the life you want remembered. Now the question that we have to ask and that Solomon begins begins to answer for us is, okay, but how do we get from where we are to the life we want to have lived by the time we come to die. And that's where he goes next. Pick up again in verse 11. Solomon says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not be able to find out anything that will be after him. As we live our lives under this sun, the life that we want remembered, we have to bear in mind two things. And that is number one, we're not made for this world. So even as you enjoy the blessings, and Solomon starts out there, he says this, he says in verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance. It's an advantage to those who see the sun. There's blessings that come with living wisely. He's not denying that. There are going to be temporal blessings that you experience from living the life that you want remembered. But we also have to remember that, that we're not living for those things. We're not living for life here. Peter says that we're strangers and aliens in this present earth, that we need to remember that this world is not our home. So that's the first thing that we need to bear in mind. The second thing that we need to bear in mind is we're not in control of any of this. The key to life is not to live wisely so that you'll be able to keep things under your control, so that you'll be able to control the outcome of things. No, that's not it at all. 
The key to life is to live wisely, to live the life you want remembered, because to do so is to be faithful to what God has called us to. And in response, God is going to bring good into your life, but in response, God also may allow the bad. In fact, he may ordain trying circumstances and does ordain trying circumstances in your life. Some of you may be going through those right now. And that's not as though that's random or that's not from the Lord, but the good things are from the Lord. We need to understand this, that both the good and the bad are from the Lord, and we need to receive it that way. That's point number two for us today is this. Take the good and the bad as from the Lord. Take the good and the bad as from the Lord. Isn't that what Solomon says here in verse 14? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, of trial, of difficulty, of suffering, of pain, of sorrow, of mourning. In the day of adversity, consider this. God has made the one, the day of joy, as well as the other, the day of adversity. And so as you guys think about the life that you're living right now, whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Maybe you're enjoying life right now. Things are good. Even in the midst of this lockdown, you're like, hey, you know what? Life isn't, isn't too bad right now. Praise God for that because that's from him. But if you're suffering right now, if you've, maybe you've lost your job, you've lost income right now, and that's hard and that's difficult. Maybe you're anxious right now. Understand that the, the day of adversity, the trials that you are facing, are trials that have been brought from the Lord. We studied James not too long ago. James says in his opening section, he says, consider it all joy when we encounter this day of adversity, when we encounter trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. So God is using this. God is working in this. This life is not meaningless. This life is not vanity. The oppression, the the suffering, the, the pain that you go through, It's from the Lord, and that can allow us to live faithfully, to live wisely in this present age. And if you will obey the Lord, if you will live the life now that you want remembered when you come to die, yes, God is going to bless you in a temporal sense, not in a name it and claim it kind of way, not in a health, wealth, and prosperity kind of way, but even Solomon in the book of Proverbs says that wisdom can result in length of days and years of life and peace. That's Proverbs 3.2. Length of days, years of life, and peace following the commandments of the Lord will add to your life. Or Proverbs 3.16, long life is in the right hand of wisdom. In her left hand are riches and honor. He says in Ecclesiastes, in our text, he says this. He says, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. So there's an essence, students, that I want you to see that choosing to live faithfully, faithfully to the Lord is a good choice. It's a wise choice that God can and does bless us for living wisely here and now, for obeying him here and now. But y'all, that's not where our hope is because if we end up like Job and God takes everything away from us, we need to have that mentality that says, again, this world is not my home. We need to take the good and the bad both as from the Lord. And so you think about coronavirus, the loss of a job, the, the breakup of a relationship that maybe you thought this was it. This is the one. I'm going to end up in, I'm gonna, we're going to get married. This is going to be great. We're going to live happily ever after. And now you're sitting there and, and you guys, th- that relationship is over. And you're wondering to yourself, what now? Is that part of God's plan for my life? Why is that part of God's plan for my life? Well, the question is, what are you going to do with that adversity? You may not ever get all of the answers as to why 
the bad comes, why the trial comes, why the difficulty comes. But I think we can build on where Solomon has been. And again, here's the connection of chapter 7 as it's building the argument. Just like the funeral can teach us, just like the rebuke of a friend can teach us, so too as we think about it and as we look at our lives, we can be taught, we can be instructed by the adversity in our lives. That God can use the difficult times, the trying times in our lives, in your life, in my life, to change us and to transform us. So students, what are you doing with the adversity in your life? Don't revolt against it. Don't grow angry with God about trials in your life. Don't shake your fist at God, but instead ask yourself and ask the Lord, Okay, Father, what are you doing in this difficult time in my life? Same thing with the joyful times in your life. Ask yourself, okay, Lord, this is from you. What do you want me to do here? Number one, I'm going to give you thanks. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to glorify you for this. But what do you want to teach me even through the the good things in my life as well as through the difficult things? Wisdom looks at both and says they're both from the Lord. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And then in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. See, that's part of God's purpose in all of this as well, is that last statement, that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God uses circumstances in our lives in order to to keep us humble, to remind us that we are not the infinite creator, but we are the finite creation, that we exist to serve him. Like I said, that we're not in control of anything in this life. We don't live in order to, to say, now I can control my life because I'm living the way that God wants me to live. No, that's not it at all. You and I can't predict what's going to happen in the next hour, let alone tomorrow or next week or two weeks or a month or a year or a decade from now. That's out of our hands. That's out of our control. And if you've gone through difficulty or you're going through difficulty right now and you look back to before this difficulty started, There's no way that you could have predicted what you're going through right now, the pain that you're enduring right now, the suffering that you are enduring right now. Or maybe you're in a great position right now. Things are going well. You're you're being blessed. And the same thing, a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, you couldn't have predicted where God would bring you and the good that he would be doing in your life right now. Why does that happen? Again, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Why? Because God wants us dependent on him. And this begins to transition us into where Solomon goes in the rest of this chapter. Pick up in verses 16 through 29. Solomon says this, In my vain life, verse 15, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. Again, he's looking at that saying, that that doesn't make sense. Why should the righteous perish at a young age? Why should the wicked live long in their lives? Again, there's no guarantee to any of this. So Solomon says the conclusion then in verse 16, be not overly righteous. In other words, don't be self-righteous. And do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked either. Neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your father knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and very deep, very deep, who can find it out? 
I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek the wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness and folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. What is Solomon talking about in this final section? Well, he's building on this idea that you and I are not in control. And so the, the two options that he lays out here for us are this. You can either be overly righteous, self-righteous, put all of your confidence in, in being good enough, and put all your hope to, to make it through this crazy life in, in being a good person. Or you can flip to the opposite extreme and you can throw your hands up in despair and say, well, man, none of this matters anyways in the long run, so I'm just going to live for as much earthly pleasure, worldly pleasure as I possibly can before I die because that's the greatest good that I can find. Solomon holds out these two extremes and he says neither of those are the answer. See, he's given us the, the bird's eye view and said you need to look at death and think about the life that you want to have lived by the time that you die. What's the life you want? Remember, live that now. And then we began to talk about, okay, so how do I get from where I am to there? And it means that you navigate this life by taking the good and the bad both as from the Lord and understanding that God is doing something in your life with both of those things and leaning into what he's doing in your life with those things. And now, finally, in this last section, we, we put boots on the ground now and we talk about, okay, what should our mindset and our attitude be then as we live day to day, as you think about the next 24 hours of your life, what should you be doing? How should you be living? How should you be thinking? And again, there's these two extremes, these two sides of the, the, the road. Both of them fall off into a chasm that's, that you don't want to fall off into. On the one side, you have self-righteousness that says to yourself, I'm going to be fine because I can do X, Y, and Z, or I've done X, Y, and Z, or I'm a good person, or I haven't done these things. And, and your confidence, confidence is in yourself. Student, that's, that's a dangerous road. And in the end, it's going to lead to, to despair. In fact, Solomon says you've destroyed yourself in that. Verse 16, why should you destroy yourself? You've destroyed yourself by putting all of your trust and hope and confidence in yourself. But then the flip side of that, the other side of the road is just as dangerous. Because on the other side of the road, you have a chasm that falls off into complete and utter depravity. You think to yourself, well, you know what? None of this matters, so I'm just going to live for my hedonistic, my, my fleshly pleasures here and now and say, forget everything else. What makes me feel good? That's what's going to govern my life. Solomon says both of those end in utter destruction and despair. And so we need to find the middle ground. What is that? Look at verse 18. It is good. It is good. Anytime Solomon says something is good, turn your ears on. Pay attention to what he's saying here because we need to lean into this. He says, it's good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who, here it is, ready, fears God shall come out from both of them. Both of what? Both sides of that road that fall off into destruction. How do you stay on the road? How do you stay on the path? How do you continue to navigate this road on the course that God wants you to be navigating over the next day, over the next 24 hours? You stay on the path by fearing God. And that's what Solomon's talking about here. 
That's where, where, what he's driving at here. And that's our, our final point as we look at this passage. It's this, fearfully follow God's way as you navigate this life. Fearfully follow God's way as you navigate this life. Have this respect for the Lord, this reverence for the Lord, this desire to worship God with your life that keeps you on this path because the other two things can be dangerous. Solomon unpacks for us these other two options in the rest of chapter 7 there of being overly righteous. Look at verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise men more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. In other words, Solomon's saying in, in that verse 20, it's impossible to be righteous enough. Surely there's, never, uh, there's not a, a righteous man on earth who never sins. And so we can't put our hope there because it's going to let us down. It's going to fail us. He says in verse 21, Do not take to heart the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Don't become indignant over that. Why? Because your heart knows, verse 22, that many times you yourself have also cursed others. And so again, Solomon's exposing the fraud of, of self-righteousness of being overly righteous here. Verse 23, all of this I've tested by my wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. I couldn't reach it. I couldn't attain it. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? The answer is not in being self-righteous. The, the answer is, is not even in being wise enough. Solomon's even holding up the, the limits of wisdom, of, of human wisdom here for us. Say we can't even put our confidence there. Don't trust in, in the ability to, to be overly wise because you can never plumb the depths of wisdom and be wise enough. That's not where the answer lies either. And then there's the depravity of life. Verse 25, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. So Solomon's now exposing for us the, the other side of the road that falls off into just self-gratifying lust and depravity here. And he says this, he says, I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and hands are fetters. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon describes the, the adulterous woman in similar language. That uh, on the surface, she appears something that you want, but then in the end, she leads to death. She's bitter as wormwood, as, as poison. So Solomon's holding out again that the, the fleshly desires that we have, those, those earthly passions, you say, well, then forget it. I'm just going to live for myself in this world. Solomon's saying, no, 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 don't do that either. That's not the answer either, because that will lead in something more bitter than death. Verse 27, behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly. I have not found one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So the two, the two op options here, as you're looking at your life, you've got this one extreme that's going to lead to destroying yourself by being self-righteous. It's impossible. All of us are fallen. None of us can be good enough. And then on the other end, there's the, the despair the, of nihilism that says, what's the point? I'm just going to live for my flesh. And Solomon says, don't go there either, because that will end in destruction and something worse than death as well. And so what's the middle ground? Fear God fearfully follow God. So student, I want uh, to, to challenge you. I want you to think about what, what led into this last section there when Solomon said, look, good and bad both come from the Lord and he does this in this way to keep us humble so that we don't know what's going to come tomorrow. You don't know what's going to come tomorrow. I don't know what's going to come tomorrow. But what we do know is what the Lord has called us to do. We do know what God has desired of us. 
In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, Moses says to Israel, he says this, he says, Hear, O Israel. In other words, listen up, people. What has God required of you but to fear him, to, to love him with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, and to walk in his commandments, to obey God? Similarly, Jesus is asked the question by that expert in the law. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love God with everything. And he says, oh, by the way, the second one, love others. So students, we don't know what's going to come, but what does it look like to live your life fearfully, to fearfully follow God, to keep his commandments, to be faithful to him? It's those two categories. Love God with everything that you are, and then let that overflow into your love for one another in how you serve one another, how you engage one another, how you are compassionate to one another, how you pray for one another, how you, even like we talked about earlier in this message, even rebuke one another in a loving way to to care about the holiness of one another. So students, that's our blueprint. That's our roadmap to navigate this life is to make sure that we are fearfully following God. Chapter seven, again, is this bird's eye view really of the whole book. It begins at the end. It brings us face to face with death and asks us the question, how do you want to have your life remembered when you die? What do you want people to say about you when you're in the coffin and they're behind the pulpit and they're pointing down at that casket? What do you want them to say about you? Think about that, students. And then ask yourself, okay, so what do I need to do? How do I need to live that life now? What does that look like? Have that abandoned confidence and trust in God, knowing that no matter what comes, good or bad, all of it comes from God to shape you, mold you, conform you into the image of Christ. And then as you live day to day, your goal, your roadmap, your safety to stay square in the middle of the path that God wants you on is to make sure that you are fearfully following him, that you are loving God with everything that you are, and that that is overflowing into a love for others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for what you are doing in our lives. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. We thank you that you have not left us without blueprints. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us with this conclusion that life is vain and there is no hope. We thank you that you are there, that you exist and that you hear us and that you have made yourself known to us, God. We are so grateful for that. And we pray that we would be found faithful followers of Christ until the day you call us home. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.